Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Fred Barnes is coming by to tell us what sort of tax legislation Republicans can and should get through Congress. And then we're going to talk with Phil Terzian about what's next for British politics after the Tories' disastrous snap election. All that coming up on the Confab. The Confab welcomes to the Confab studio Mr. Fred Barnes, executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Fred, how's it going? It's going fine, and I'm uh, glad to be here to talk about everybody's favorite subject, taxes. Taxes. (laughs) Yes. Well, the lack of taxes would be my favorite subject. Well, it's tax cuts, so uh, I think we'll have a a very uh, nice time talking about it. Excellent. Well, this week things were dominated by Jeff Sessions' testimony Mm -hmm. before the Senate. Does that mean that things aren't getting done when all the focus is over here on on the Russia investigation and hearings? Or does the focus on that leave room for people to actually get things done over here where they're working on things like tax cuts? Yeah. No, I think you're dealing with here the myth, which you have somewhat shot down, the myth that because the White House is uh, all in a dither about uh, uh, collusion with the Russians and the investigations and so on, that somehow uh, because of that, Congress is dead in the water and can't do anything. Well, that's just not true. And it's particularly true on tax reform. There's a lot of activity on tax reform, uh, and, and there's been a lot of selling of the parts of it, and there have been a lot of advice, uh, people coming to the White House to push for changes in it. Uh, an awful lot of activity. So how much of what's going on now is the president's tax reform package and how much of it are ideas that are coming from the House or the Senate? Remember that the White House has not put out a bill or even a list of all the things they're for and and details about them. They put forward a one-page list of principles. And that, now that would that would seem to me actually not a bad strategy to lay out principles, but by not making it specific, mm-hmm. avoid taking a lot of incoming fire for this particular thing, that particular thing. Well, it 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 has achieved that. What you're talking about, it has. It's gotten less. Uh, it's gotten fewer attacks than it would if they said, you know, we want to uh, have this border adjustment tax, and it has to be this amount, and so on. Uh, but they didn't say it. As a matter of fact, they didn't mention. The border adjustment tax. It looks like the White House is not as keen on it as uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan is. But here's uh, uh, what I think is the biggest issue now. There has been an effort by by uh, two economists, Steve Moore and Larry Kudlow, who wrote uh, during the campaign Donald Trump's original tax cut bill, uh, which is it has since been discarded, though lots of the parts are are going to be uh, were in the principles. Uh, and then there's an idea that those same people now who have had this along with Art Laffer and Steve Forbes uh, to have a, a before uh, getting mired down in tax reform. And you and you'll remember back in the 80s when tax reform was passed in 1986, that came after about four years of toing and froing over over the subject. It took a long time. Reform is pretty complicated. So anyway, the idea is to have uh, a tax cut, 
now. A cut in the corporate rate down to 20 or 15 percent. It's now 35 percent. To have a a lower special rate to bring back overseas profits uh, that would be taxed at a high high rate uh, uh, if they were brought back now. And that's why they're not brought back. Uh, And those would be the main two things. And and perhaps expensing of, you know, one year uh, writing off of, uh, of what you spend. So instead of a big package with mm-hmm. lots of moving parts, right. focus on the most attractive parts of the deal mm-hmm. and uh, and get those while they're getting's good. Yeah, and exactly. And and those are the ones that would have the most immediate impact on the economy, uh, producing economic growth. And of course, the idea here is to have economic growth picking up by November 2018, uh, which is the uh, the date of the midterm election. Uh, so you'd like to have that. There's a good argument uh, for having this tax cut now and, and, and trying to do tax reform later. Tax reform, when you get into eliminating uh, or trying to eliminate so many things that uh, that have their own constituency, for instance, eliminating uh, the deduction for state and local taxes. Well, there are a lot of states and governors and and uh, and uh, wealthy people and so on in New Jersey and Connecticut and New York and California who want that deduction. So anyway, you no, have to... notice these are blue states. Though. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, they look they uh, the. Uh, Trump administration and many, many member of Congress, uh, members of Congress would like to get rid of that deduction. Uh, my rule of thumb is uh, if Reagan couldn't uh, achieve something, then <laughs> it's not going to happen. And, of course, Reagan tried to get that deduction eliminated back in the 80s, and he failed. So I think they'll fail again. But anyway, you have all these special tax breaks in there, and uh, it, it just takes a long time to get tax reform and put that off until later, perhaps 2018. There's an argument against doing this, however, and that is if we don't do it now, we'll never do it. And are there any issues with regard to how the bill, a bill, would get scored by the CBO when you try to take out just these particular pieces of it? Uh, well, I'm not sure whether uh, – look, I think they ought to not send the bill to CBO. CBO is uh, – uh, I mean, what they make are wild guesses. I mean, they're never close. CBO – it's the graveyard of tax reform. Well, it can be, but uh, in this tax reform, you can get – yeah, and, and, of course, they don't give you any credit for uh, uh, more taxes generated through economic growth either. So uh, I don't think tax reform – I don't think CBO can kill it, but uh, – uh, the folks at CBO, they probably like to. So we see, though, that the, the Republican agenda may be narrowing down, which is we don't see anything going on with uh, health care. That seems to be mm-hmm. kind of stalled. Mm-hmm. And then tax reform, if that stalls to the point where only a very small amount of it gets, is, is it better to just get mm-hmm. a little something done than to be stalled altogether, well, I guess? Well, this little something done is a big is a big something because it's the tax cut part. Uh, the other part is the tax reform part where you're really uh, doing uh, scores of small things uh, that are important that add up to a lot but are harder to get. Uh, but if you get the tax cut, uh, a huge reduction in the corporate tax rate, for instance, and you repatriate all this m- m- money that's uh, been kept overseas by companies that earned it there, you know, that's about $2.5 trillion dollars. That's trillion with a T. It's a lot of money. Uh, if you can, uh, if you can uh, do that now, uh, 
it, it would have a great impact. Who's going to be doing the tax reform at this point? Will it be coming from the Senate? Will it be coming from the House? Who has to act first, and uh, what are we supposed to be looking for? Well, all tax bills have to come initially from the House, but the question is whose tax bill will be coming from the House, and what will it look like? You know, there's an effort uh, that is underway to get five uh, people uh, to agree on on what tax reform or just a tax cut should be. And those people are the president, uh, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of the Senate, and then the two uh, uh, chairmen of, uh, of the Ways and Means Committee in the House and the, and the Finance Committee in the Senate, those five people to agree on a bill. Well, they haven't agreed on one yet. <laughs> And if you can't get Republicans to agree on tax cuts, mm-hmm. what can you get Republicans well, to agree uh, on? That's a very good point. You know, I mean, as Republicans now will tell you, you know, that health care issue, you know, we've never we've never done health care very well. But taxes, aha, taxes, that's our issue and tax cuts in particular. Fred Barnes, executive editor of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on the Confab. I enjoyed it. We welcome to the Confab studio Mr. Phil Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard. Phil, how are you doing? Delighted to be here. Delighted to have you. You were in the UK a week ago. I was. You were there for the general election, or the, if not for the snap election, you were a witness to it. Well, I was. There. it was so snap, I was there, and then the election happened while I was there, so... Now, the aftermath of that election in which the Tories took something of a drubbing, uh, having expected to have a great triumph, um, a little bit of that has been put on hold because of this terrible aftermath of the fire of the Grenfell Towers public housing um, and uh, people sort of trying to sort out what the magnitude of it is and um, who's to blame. So you've got a sort of unsettled political situation when you have a sort of massive public crisis all happening at the same time. Well, it's an interesting uh, situation because it 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 points out that we're a we're a democracy, and uh, you know uh, we're England is the mother country and all that sort of thing. But our two systems are so extraordinarily dissimilar (laughs) that it's always difficult to explain how things work. Um, I mean, the fact that there is such a thing as a snap election. I mean, she called the election six weeks ago, and I was in London for a week, and if I hadn't been talking to people and reading the newspapers very closely, you could have easily not known that there was an election going on, which is in, to some degree, blessed contrast with our now two- to three-year marathon (laughs) presidential elections, one of which we just uh, uh, endured. So it was uh, interesting in that respect, although I think that despite the Grenfell um, uh, building tragedy, um, the parliamentary goings-on continue, and despite the fact that it's been described as the most extraordinary election in modern times for for slightly complicated political reasons, um, I think the status quo will prevail for the time being anyway. Theresa May is not going to be ousted by Boris in, in, within the next fortnight? Not within the next fortnight, although I, she, she, in my opinion, she will be ousted at some point before the next general election. Maybe my 
maybe by Boris, and of course, as always in these circumstances, there are several Borises in the wings waiting to uh, waiting to look for blood on the floor, and it's it's certainly there. So there will be a leadership struggle at some point. Now, what were you hearing in England, and what's your own sense of what voters were thinking in changing direction from where the Tories thought things were going? Well, I... As usual, I think there are four or five reasons uh, f- for everything, uh, all of which have equal importance. She called the snap election because she was enjoying a temporary surge in the polls. The problem is that, as former Prime Minister Harold Wilson once said, a week is a very long time in politics. And he, in fact, called a snap election once because the polls were very favorable to him. And Six weeks later, he was out of a job. So that, that so maybe the problem is that the snap elections aren't nearly snap enough. They're not you, snap you need enough. to be you able to, it. you know, Thursday afternoon at three, call the election for Friday morning at eight a.m. Exactly. Then it might work. The other problem too is that the British electorate has been called upon to go to the polls a lot in the last few years. They had a in Scotland, they had a referendum two years ago. They had a general election a year and a half ago, and then they had, of course, the uh, EU referendum uh, last year. So they, they effect, in effect, have been going to a earth-shattering, life-changing election <laughs> on a yearly basis. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I, you could almost interpret this the election results in Scotland to be sort of a referendum on the notion of having yet another referendum by the Scottish National Party uh, taking it in the shorts and uh, the Tories seeing one of their few bright spots was in Scotland of all places. Well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, this was this was very much a throw the bums out uh, election as we've seen in other in other countries we might know about and uh Scotland is a good example because the Scottish nationalists who had been agitating for a second uh referendum on independence of course have been governing uh, under the devolved Scottish uh, uh Parliament for the last ten years, and it turns and of, and of course the Tories have, have in effect been been out of Scotland for the last two decades. So there's hardly been a Tory, conservative member from of Parliament from Scotland since the early eighties, and so this was not just a referendum on Theresa May, but on the Scottish Nationalists who lost a third of their seats in Parliament, which is excessive. They lost their their founder leader Alex Salmon. They lost their leader in the House of Commons. And so much for the notion that Scotland might be eager to get out of the UK at this point so that it could hew closely to the EU, which it's being stripped away from against its will. Well, that's that's exactly right. If you were a Scot who didn't want to go along with Brexit, you would have voted for the SNP. But now there's not going to be a independence referendum for uh, quite a long time, and now the Tories have thirteen members of Parliament from Scotland, which is—I uh, mean, it doesn't sound like much here, but that's extraordinary over there. It was quite a sea change. So Brexit consent continues to sort of loom large in British politics. If, if are the Tories going to be able to get their act together without getting their act together on Brexit? Well, that's the interesting thing. I mean, she called the election because she wanted a larger majority so that she could enter the Brexit negotiations with a strong united Britain behind her. Um, well, she doesn't have a united Britain behind her, but the Brexit negotiations are inexorable. They, they will be coming uh, in a matter of days. And 
um, therefore, the the really what what are called the hard Brexiters, which is the people who are very anxious to get out of the EU, are very unhappy because they feel this weakens Britain's position, and there will there will be compromises made in Brussels and so on. But it's it's very hard to say at the moment exactly what will happen. But the the negotiations continue, and Theresa May or whoever her successor may be. Uh, even the even the Labour Party is committed to leaving the European Union, which is interesting. Of course, Labour, for totally different reasons, has always been very ambivalent about the EU for the last several decades. So, in that sense, Brexit continues, but the the leadership of the Conservative Party in 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 particular and the British government in general is a little problematical as, as a consequence of this election. So does the British government uh, go into a long period of, uh, of of uncertainty now? Well, uncertainty, yes and no. The, the, the interesting thing That's about a the nice Brexit, way to talk about uncertainty. You, yes yeah. and no. maybe maybe not. <laughs> I, the uh, the um, uh, the Brexit negotiations are are very complicated. They have to renegotiate dozens, if not hundreds, of different agreements and so on. So it will go on for a couple of years, actually. And the British government is is stable. I mean, the Tories, they lost their majority, but the Ulster Unionists, who are a, 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 a party actually to the right of the Conservatives in Northern Ireland, they, are, they will be supporting the government. So they will have a working majority. But, of course, the, 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 the Ulstermen, the uh, actually it's led by a woman, uh, the Ulster persons, they will have a... Uh, uh, they will have slightly different desire on Brexit than the English uh, uh, negotiators will. So there'll be some complications, but things will go on. I mean, it's not this isn't a constitutional crisis. It's just a it's a political dog's breakfast. But but the government the government uh, obtains and life will go on. Phil Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on the Confab. My pleasure. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.